All right, folks, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of the Looking for the Light podcast, hosted by me, Axel Hamill, and my wonderful co-host, Michael Ablev. Uh, we are now officially kicking off episode one of the podcast, following The Last of Us, episode one, uh, which is also titled, ironically, When You're Lost in the Darkness. Um, we are going to be covering a few elements here for the episode, um, just like we spoke about in the last um, pilot episode, um, and for everyone's context here, if you're new to the podcast, this is a podcast by the fans of The Last of Us for the fans of The Last of Us. Those of you who have played the games in the past, and those of you who are brand new, you're more than welcome to join us here for this open forum. Um, and the way we're going to structure our episode starting today and moving forward is talking about the episode in Acts. Um, Based on what has happened in, in the episode, we're going to look at the actors that are portraying the characters in the game, uh, the world itself, and also how much does the show pay tribute to the game, right? Um, and without further ado, um, just want to give a quick rundown of what the episode was before we get started. Uh, so again, for those of you who have watched this episode, it's a long one. Uh, so it was a commitment for all of us. A good 88 minutes of, of viewing pleasure. Uh, definitely worth the wait. Let's put it that way. Um, couldn't believe how well the episode started. Uh, not to mention how well the intro sequence was composed. Um, definitely unexpected. Um, but love how they, they added the factual elements of the actual Cordyceps virus. Which, uh, for those of you who do not know, it's uh, an actual fung uh, fungal infection for, for insects. And how that would transfer over to uh, the human population, right? It was a good segue into what the last was really is, right? Getting the momentum going, and then uh, following the wonderful intro sequence, which definitely revealed a lot about you know what the fungus is, and, and very visually appealing, as well as the soundtrack, which is very, very much tied to what the Last of Us has used in the past. Going into you know the context of in the background of of Sarah, um, portrayed really well by. Um, the actors there as well as uh, Joel and Tommy and, and it's kind of that that preemptive life before the outbreak right um, in the games it's not portrayed very much in, in finite detail uh, but it kind of felt that energy the positive energy and the the, the natural chemistry between uh, between these characters um, very much well done and portrayed in, in the show Going into the actual outbreak itself, some some differences, some similarities you can definitely see between the games and the show. Um, the actual outbreak itself was, uh, I would say, more dramatic in the games, but also much faster than what you'd experience in a game. You know, there's a lot of uh, differences you, you, you experience whenever you play the game in general, right? So um, watching a show was, was a breath of fresh air to see different perspectives, but still keeping it uh, true to the game and... You know, then we, we fast forward into, you know, what actually happens to Sarah and, and all that um, going into 20 years later, uh, where Joel is, is now living up uh, to the turmoil uh, and a struggle of, of the past events and, and how much the world has degraded. A lot of differences there. And this is where it starts in terms of differences is the last act of the, of the show. Uh, talking about the future, we get to experience Tess. Marlene gets introduced. We finally understand what happened to Marlene, what happened to Tess, what happened to Joel, you know, what's leading up to, to Ellie being part of the show, what happened to her uh, on the, the Left Behind DLC. 
we're finally starting to get a lot more background into what what happened, what we've always wondered happened, right? Um, and that's when we, we end the episode and we're going to see um, what happens next when we traverse into Boston. But uh, with that being said, um, you know, I uh, would love to dive deeper into Michael's perspective here as well. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Axel. That was a great introduction um, regarding just kind of an overview and the summary of like what went down within the episode itself and what we can take have as our main takeaways. You know, first and foremost, I think uh, one thing that I want to get right out of the books with, um, you know, before we get into this is that it's the first episode and there's definitely a lot that we can take away from it as a whole, uh, just the way that they present uh, you know, the the story to a audience that's going to definitely be a combination of audience of people who have never played the game and people who have played the game. So you're trying to please two totally different demographics that have, you know, already kind of like their minds made up about the show in one way or another for both sides, you know. So like um, looking at the, the, the first introduction, there was a lot that they had to achieve, a lot of people that they had to necessarily please and impress with this. So Taking that into account, this was a really good episode. They definitely, I think, had to push a couple of things very quickly and very early on within the story. Um, there was no way that they were going to not introduce Ellie, for example, in this episode from the very beginning. Well, not from the very beginning, but at least in the very beginning in the overview of the entire series. You know, they had to put her in the first episode, you know. There was so much that could have been done with just Joel, like to if we were to truly replicate how the game is, because you're a couple of hours into the game before you even meet Ellie, maybe about two hours in, almost three sometimes, depending on play style. But, you know, um, they could have spent an entire episode just to focus on Joel, just to build up that character's connection. But they couldn't, obviously, they needed to get, you know, the 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 second main character of the, the entire story in as early as possible or else, you know, why the heck did they, you know, it's all about the marketing for the, the, the show as well. But, you know, if for what the episode had to encompass itself, being that it was 81 minutes long too, and being that they were paying homage to a game, you know, uh, trying their best to have these adaptation of the characters... You know, I think as a whole, they did they did a really good job. We'll get into the nitty gritty about the specific things within these three different parts of the first episode, as we want to call for the cold open in Act One, um, the 2003 sequence or the Sarah sequence, the outbreak sequence as Act Two, and then uh, 2023 as our Act Three, uh, the 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 modern world and the the kind of the time that this story takes place. Uh, in the game and as in the show as we're gonna see so you know um very very ambitious call by uh joe by excuse me by uh craig mazin and uh neil Druckmann to really cram as much as they could in in that first episode make it all make sense it all make have a fluid you know um articulation to the viewer uh, but also be able to you know get get it right and get the get the story in there so uh yeah, like, let's get right into it. All right, so let's get into it talking about Act 1, the cold open for the show. Um, definitely something that's very different than what we've had. You know, we we never experienced this in the game. This is something strictly cinematic, strictly, you know, uh, artistic for them to have this kind of cue in to uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke, I think, type show or a Conqueror type interview. 
um, where uh, the these scientists are debating, you know, the next possible pandemic, the next thing that could attack humans um, as a whole uh, in 1968, excuse me. Uh, something that I really liked about this is just the fact that it gave like an Easter egg almost effect to adding something completely new into explaining what this, you know, fungus, this virus, this, you know, parasite, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> to have it clearly addressed, you know, because um, in the game, we don't get a whole lot of it. We we hear only what people talk about it, people's understanding, people knows what it does to people and what it turns them into. Uh, but what exactly is it, you know, like it's called the cordyceps virus. Uh, we know that it exists in ants, as the, the scientist clearly, dis, you know, discusses about it. And uh, the fact that, like, if somehow it was able to jump species, because it's not used to living in a warm environment, uh, but the the globe continues to get warmer. So what if it has to adapt and just survive in a warmer environment and then it can survive on humans? What if that kind of hop was to happen? The fact that they set it up in a in a dramatic scene like that, I thought was really cool. I thought it was a cool way to introduce it. You know, I heard from some of the research I did that originally they were going to do something kind of like Planet Earth-esque, like the National Geographic documentary, which uh, Neil Druckmann watched originally. I believe it was like, you know, he was a young adult or maybe even in college which uh, had that little snippet about the cordyceps virus, and he held on to that for years and then created the game kind of based off of that. They were going to do something of that kind of sequence, where it was going to be documentary style talking about what would happen if it was to jump over to humans. And eventually they scrapped that idea and they decided to film this instead, which I think is cool. Kind of the talk show effect of it is uh, is interesting. Uh, it gave me interesting... Um, Joker vibes, uh, the Joker with uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, where he's sitting on that talk show with Robert De Niro, like this similar kind of dynamic, not obviously, you know, it was, <laughs> spoiler alert, Robert De Niro gets shot between the eyes by Joaquin Phoenix, but definitely not like that, but just the the unease of the feeling, the interaction between the crowds and like that kind of scene where the everyone was kind of shocked by the reality like that was being spoken. Um, it had similar calls back to me, from, uh, to that for me. But yeah, uh, regarding uh, uh, the cold open, I definitely enjoyed it. It was very interesting to have that little, like I called it, an Easter egg addition to the story uh, behind the cordyceps virus. Curious to hear your thoughts, Axel. Honest opinion. Um, going into the into the intro sequence, I at first I really didn't didn't really have. A vibe for it. I, I don't know what it is. I, I personally think that um, having played the game and going into like the unknown was was more appealing to me. I think for some reason I kind of got that. Maybe somebody else can agree with me on this. I kind of get got the same I am legend vibe from that intro sequence. It's almost kind of like one absolutely one to one absolutely uh, yeah uh, replication of that. So you kind of get this ominous feeling. Like sure there was a fear factor. Sure there was kind of like this. Um, you know, build up to like what uh, foreshadowing to what what's going to happen. But I, I also think that it was it was so strongly copied from the I Am Legend movie that I feel like it wasn't original, right? And and everything else about the story is so original that I, I really I really just didn't 
feel that it was necessary to put that in there. But um, I think in addition to that, too, um, the more and more I, I hear Mike talking about it and I hear, you know, uh, uh, folks talking about it online and how it can uh, really apply itself to the story itself. Um, I'm kind of understanding that the, the background might be necessary because uh, for those that are brand new to the story and seeing some of the scenes in Act Act Two, um, you know, where we talk about the actual uh, outbreak itself, you know, might you might not understand what that actually is, right? There's it's not really explained until very later in the story, even in the games, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I think it was kind of necessary to have that background for that's for for the sake of that. But again, I think the execution of that. Very similar to what you'd see in in, in I Am Legend, but uh, at the same time, you know, and feel free to pause me if I'm going too too far ahead here. But I think um, when we go in from that into the actual intro sequence, like oh my god, you know, that was very visually appealing. Um, that's exactly like you know, both the soundtrack was immaculate, combined with like the you know. The showcase of the of the fungi, and then obviously ending with the, the beautiful imagery of of Ellie and Joel as as the you know the main characters of the show, like in going through the sunset and the growing right. fungus. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you know, um, bravo. Honestly, I think it definitely uh, deserves its its moniker for being the most appealing intro sequence. Hundred um, percent, Mike. I just you know quickly wanted to ask you, like uh, from your perspective. Um, as somebody who was appealed to to that intro sequence, like, would you would you agree with that fact that it is kind of an I Am Legend esque thing, or do you think that was still necessary considering that uh, some folks made that background? Honestly, you know, like you got me thinking that on the really cool thing about the I Am Legend intro was that it was very short. It was like what maybe a minute at most, and I remember if I remember correctly, the the actual it's like a like call it like a major news network like cnn fox news type interview you know and it's a very small box on like the entire screen and you kind of get like a like a tone deaf you know like audio like of that interview and the way that it just like gives you that little snippet and then cuts to you know dilapidated downtown new york city you know i think that was such an impact which was like dang like i'm legend definitely had everyone's attention very quickly with the kind of intro that they had and yeah i can i totally see that similar esqueness to it uh how uh with uh with the last of us this this cold open with the the interview that they're kind of doing like i could see how they were maybe trying to go for something like that but you know, it's tough. They, they, it was a lot longer. It was a lot more kind of like an, an into deeper intellectual conversation as well. Cause this was like, you know, like a, like a forum amongst professors, almost like, uh, at a university as opposed to on a talk show. I don't know if any of those like talk show hosts back then brought on guests like that, but maybe I'm completely wrong. Definitely did not do my research, but, um, I think another question I want to propose to the audience here as well is, do you think there'll be a cold open for every episode? Question mark. Ooh, great question. Yeah, no, just set it up maybe on outbreak day, on outbreak, uh, you know, or it could be in different locations or something like that, or more of a backstory to how the virus progressed. You know, we have that snippet from one of the trailers, and some of the internet sleuths really did the digging, but it's that woman wearing a hazmat suit 
operating on what looks like uh, small little cells of the uh, of the uh, of the fungus. And uh, the sleuths discovered that the actress who was playing that woman in the hazmat suit is an Indonesian actress. So there's the theory out right now that uh, the opening scene, well, they might have a cue back to, I believe the largest uh, bread and grain factory in the world is in Indonesia, and that maybe the fungus could have started there and eventually had spread out from export of that uh, bad bread. Also, uh, the this is a cue in maybe to act to a little early, but we'll be talking probably a little bit about uh, the little features of Nana, the uh Adler family next door to the Miller family, being that Joel Miller and Sarah Miller, um, she was being fed bread uh, the day before she started acting uh, acting all crazy. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. Just to round back real quick on uh, the cold open, and I also really definitely want to give a nod to the title sequence for the show. Um, Definitely, definitely big homage points for the fact that it's done very similar to how it is done in the first game as well. The first game, it is just black and white, and you just see, uh, I guess it would be like fungus sprouting, but it's almost like an x-ray view of fungus sprouting and growing and spores going everywhere. Um, very similar, I think, in the title sequence here. Obviously, there wasn't a, a, a very symbolic thing of Joel and Ellie having these little, like, almost antenna-like pieces to the fungus. Um, but, you know, it's the same song, exactly the same. Uh, you know, Gustavo absolutely kills it on the, the soundtrack for the show throughout uh, with the cues and music. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful, you know, and they only had a couple of songs that were not original to The Last of Us in this episode. So um, I'm sure we're going to have, uh, we're gonna have you know, some great music. We'll probably talk about the, the, some of the cues in that we're already seeing from 60s, 70s, and 80s genre music playing on the radio. So uh, we'll be awesome to see more of that in the future. But without further ado, let's move on to the next act by traveling to 2003. So um, now we're talking about stuff that actually did happen, for the most part, right? We have a little bit more of a cue in. Like we, the the game starts out uh, in the evening. We start this uh, show right off with uh, Sarah waking up. So we see that day, Joel's birthday from the morning instead of starting it basically in the last couple of hours of that actual day. Um, really cool to see kind of this, this build in the, the relationship that, uh, Joel and Sarah already have. Obviously she's in her teens. He's seems to be a single father. Uh, we get more kind of like a context of a background, not so much about like, you know, what, what his story is entirely, but we almost know more about Tommy in a way than we do about Joel right from the get-go. We know that Joel has a daughter. We know that he's turning 36. Uh, we know that he works in construction, um, you know, and we know that he lives in Austin, Texas, and he seems to be a single father. We know his brother is a veteran of Desert Storm, uh, looked like he was in a tank division, uh, and uh, also works with him in construction. We get kind of that backstory to it. Um, we see kind of the world almost uh, rapidly, but at the same time, it seems mundanely uh, ramp up very quickly. It seems as though, uh, you know, the we get hints throughout the episode as well of the outbreak um, 
the looming outbreak in when it seems to all kind of culminate at night, right? Um, so uh, it's uh, it's very interesting to see how they build out that world. But you know, just initial responses to the characters themselves, how characters are being portrayed by the actors, you know, definitely very, uh, very believable, very, very good uh, um, in the sense that they, I can tell that they put a lot just into their, their own, you know, artistic portrayal. I'm not a professional actor, so I'll not critique them to that extent, but, you know, it's believable. The the character flow goes well, you know, like, uh, obviously, it's not one-to-one with the game, but there's a lot of calls to the game, a lot of uh, direct quotes that are pulled directly from uh, directly from the game originally into it. Um, yeah, it, it, they, I mean, they, they kick it off really well. We see, you know, a little bit more about Sarah getting the watch uh, repaired, which was honestly a minor detail that I didn't even really catch on with. I thought it was a brand new watch, to be honest with you. I think I never caught on to the fact that she said she was getting it fixed for him. But um, great to, you know, get more of also a backstory. I guess on Tommy there... Uh, with uh, why Joel was outside the house. I think this is where it differs from the game. Joel could have been investigating something in the game as opposed to in the show. He's going to bail out Tommy. Seems like Tommy is the more rambunctious one as opposed to, you know, Joel. Though we don't know much about Joel and Tommy's background whatsoever in the game. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how they, like, build out the characters and show them, you know, even prior to um, when the horde comes, if you will, when the outbreak really, really happens, you know. So the character portrayals there are good. And the the buildup to the scariness, you know, with uh, the, the Adler family living next door and the, the Nana uh, being the one that gets infected, you know, the, the theory can be that it's because they take her downtown. Um, I mentioned again the theory online is that it could be like through the bread or something like that. But, you know, let alone uh, Sarah, Joel, and Tommy, they're not infected, so... Uh, as things go down, you know, the portrayal, the darkness of it, the the cues inside the car as they're escaping, it's all it's all befitting with it. I don't want to uh, steal the summary of it, but the the portrayal of it all uh, is uh, uh, is very uh, accurate, very cool. There, the whole blending of the uh, uh, the characters, the homage as well, and the world that it set, it was all believable. You know, it was all good, and it, it was really cool to see how they adapted it to the show, and honestly, making it look a lot like the game. I guess it's cool to have it in the very beginning because it it uh, panders to the video game on a, audience in a sense because it shows them like one to one recreation, and for uh, you know our audience basically. It should be really cool to see them do that. I hope that they don't keep that up like throughout the entire show. I hope that they do stick more to the cinematic parts of it because some of the cinematic parts in The Last of Us video game are some of the best cinematic parts in video games, period. Um, so, you know, I hope that they, I hope that they, uh, you know, build off on that a little bit more. But, um, uh, you know the the little Easter eggs of uh, you know the 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 restaurant that <clears throat> Joel and Sarah run through before the soldier the 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 actual portrayal of the soldier was kind of interesting as as opposed to more of like a ruthless killer cyborg Axel that was something that uh, I know that you wanted to to bring up but yeah I, uh, I'm definitely curious to hear your take for the the 2003 Act Two of this episode. Well, first of all, um, 
that's another key thing, key element we need to consider. It takes place in 2003. For any player right. of the yeah. original Last of Us, we know that it didn't well, take place in 2003. It took place in 2013. So yeah. with that being in mind, keeping that in mind, let's consider that there are elements here that need to keep really accurate if you're going to do that, right? For Number sure. one thing, weapons. Number two, items. Number three... What we're wearing, you know, it has to be historically accurate. Technology, technology, yeah. right? I mean, the yeah. whole whole shebang, right? Everything changes when you change timelines. Neil had a really good reason for this. We're going to get into it uh, when we get to Act Three. But think about it this way: um, What has happened in society in the last couple of years? Why is it so relevant for us to have this story take place now versus, you know, in the future? Right? We're kind of experiencing mm-hmm. a pandemic of our own, right? So I think. Mm-hmm. There's some creative interests here to have it launched right now. So with that being said, um, 2003, uh, I love the fact that we now hone in on the characters and their portrayal of, of uh, and their chemistry. Um, you know, Sarah, Joel, right? Who are they as, as father and daughter, right? And Tommy, how, how did they interact with each other? All we really knew in the games was they were, you know, obviously they lived together you know, in the same roof, but their family. But, you know, we really kind of get into the action right away. We don't really understand what the chemistry was like. What was life before everything went to, for lack of a better term, shit, right? Um, right. And I think we kind of get a glimpse of that. We also understand now that Tommy was a bit of a troublemaker as a character, right? He, he landed in jail um, for being a drunk, right? And uh, I think that was actually comically interesting because I think uh, – you know, uh, Tommy and Joel are such, such you know, uh, um, like-minded people, and they're very straight-edged in the games. That it's hard to imagine them having like uh, comical behavior, right, in the in the show. So that was that was very interesting. Also, like the fact you mentioned about the watch. I mean, uh, the fact that Sarah went and purposely got the watch fixed shows that there was even more like personal feelings towards that gift right and really glad they they added that detail multiple times in the show not just the fact mm. that it was a gift but you know the background behind the watch giving the watch and then what obviously you know joe wearing the watch for the rest of the rest of the season so i think that's that's really critical for us to keep in mind that there's still a, a memento for for sarah's gift and then um yeah i think mike hit this in the nail really well about um sort of the background behind the virus i'd be interested to know what the the little easter eggs there are but my theory is similar to yours where we're looking at uh, a world where the the fungus should have originated somewhere and, and the fact that they went downtown like the, the the nana went downtown was had to be a reason for for her personally to get infected but um think about some of the visual elements here um again i think one-to-one replication of the outbreak happening, Sarah waking up in her room, um, nobody being in the house, going outside. Interesting to see that they, they showed sort of the infection cycle a little bit in, um, in Nana's house. And again, big, big difference. The fungus and the infection of the virus is no longer airborne. You can see the tentacles coming out of people's mouths. Man, it's just crazy the way that they're making, you know, the the this this artistic liberty that they're taking with the uh, kind of redoing the the fungus i think 
uh, it's not something that we saw in the game originally. You know, like this is also like a kind of new thing. This is a new, obviously, with the the spores not existing anymore. There's also some a deviation from the game, but the fact that they're now cutting out, uh, you know, they're this new addition of like these weird hair looking tentacle follicles whatever coming out of their mouth it's interesting it is very creepy so i'm like on board with it uh and it's got me freaking out and definitely not wanting to look at them but it is different from the game and it's a you know for now it's okay the sports thing we talked about it in the last episode i need an explanation why nick is or nick offerman excuse me why bill is wearing a gas mask so and i'll i get it you know they went into a room also uh in uh, the 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 next chapter they go into a room that is congested and uh, uh what would have been congested was spores because of the body that's morphed to the wall uh, but, uh, you know, in the game that would have been definitely done with a mask. Uh, so that's something, you know, further to talk about, but yeah, creepy, man. Creepy. So I take it that you like it as well or not so much. Uh, I think it was an interesting addition to, um, sort of the storyline. Uh, I think to cater for a television series, um, it might've probably been a much more expensive option to create sports like that. Um, I think also to fully like understand um, the transfer of the virus visually and make it more gruesome. I think that made a lot more sense again for the background. What I, what I truly enjoyed too was that they stayed true to the game's visualization when it came to uh, the family, the infected family running out of the house and infecting the neighbor just like in the games, very similar. And then right. uh, again, when we're in the in the car with Ellie, you have that same feel from the camera perspective that you have the ability to look all over what's happening. You see the house burning down. You see everybody frantically trying to escape the city, doing the same exact thing. The military intercepting that. Um, and then... You rush into into town, and uh, while again there are a lot more, uh, there's more an emphasis of an out wider outbreak instead of a more regional outbreak, like in the games. You see a, t- a freaking airplane come down, yeah, right, yeah, like that's that's uh, you know taking it a step up, right, and and just like you mentioned, you know, I think going straight into the end of Act Two, where we're talking about. The, the climax between Joel and the soldier and, and what I wanted to portray here with the soldier. Um, I think that was the most sincere way of showing that, you know, this person, the soldier that uh, shot Sarah ultimately uh, was just not a heartless monster. Like he was told to do that. He even multiple times asked if that was an order and it was, right. and, and he had to carry out that order, you know, granted um, I think they, they, perfected the scene with Sarah and the frantic turmoil that that Joel was going through um, but at the end of the day you know I think that was so well summarized uh, for act two I think that was an amazing way to uh, I guess reapply uh, the old schematic of of the last of us uh, origins right so for sure um, you know uh, kudos to to Neil and and Craig for directing this episode. And Act Two was was just Chef's kiss, honestly. So, yeah, no, it was. Um, 
you know the the finale um it's uh, like the the finale to act 2 if you will uh, and their homage that they do to it i will say i wish that the soldiers said more than yes sir like five times before he just puts the gun on uh, Joel and Sarah and pulls the trigger then again yeah the the i'm sorry adds like a level of depth you can hear his tone change in the tone of voice every time he says yes sir but I feel like you felt it more in the game, and he's he actually. It seemed like he didn't want to take the order in the game to to fire those shots, but you know maybe being a little bit too nitpicky on that because the real most important thing is Sarah gets shot and how Joel mainly Joel reacts to it and cradles her, and then Tommy does play a big part in that as well in that finale. Uh, I think it was very well done in homage to the game. Definitely very honest, very similar. Um, you know, I give big shout out, I think, to Tommy. I really like uh, his portrayal by Gabriel Luna. I think Pedro Pascal did a good job. I watched the original. I'll definitely be biased. I think the original, the game, Troy Baker's performance is better. But, you know, Joel, uh, Pedro Pascal still does a really good job. I'll give him that for sure. But, yeah, no, great uh, finale to it. And then the quick cut scene. 20 years later, boom, we're now in Boston, and we're a kid traversing on the outside, clearly infect, in, uh, infected, you know, like tweaking a little bit when he's walking, dragging his leg, you know, you can you can kind of surmise that, you know, if you're, the more and more I've been reading into this whole cordyceps virus, the more like I'm seeing how this kind of like actions that are similar in ants, we're seeing a very similar uh, portrayal in humans in this game how uh, it inhibits the body and then causes tremors uh, causes uh, to uh, like insane hallucinations and uh, uh, disassociation so it seems uh, it seems pretty fitting with the kid and we see the classic per direct re-representation re of the scanners that the federal soldiers are using you know and we're seeing it all in within a lens of 20 years in the future so uh boston completely bombed out uh only having the fortress uh pretty much standing there very similar to the game they were portraying it all uh to alike with uh you know setting the world for what boston is in the uh, 20 years in the future technically 2023 so paying uh you know a little bit of uh metaphorical context to what you were alluding to axel but um yeah very cool to see the fact that Boston looks a lot similar to it does in the game, particularly that in the game with the maps that you can find, you'll see that in the early stages of the outbreak, uh, there was a very fortified Boston quarantine zone that was set up. And then there was a range of about, I think it's like a third of a mile or half a mile that the military straight bombed. That's why you see so many of those buildings knocked over and a lot of territory flattened. So that way there's like a buffer zone between heavily infested uh, and, you know, potentially infected uh boston and then the city itself the quarantine zone and you see you'll see a lot of that also i think uh, you know as ellie and joel traverse uh the country and then in part two with seattle being a big theme and uh, a big setting in the game you see very similar tactics that fedra and the military had taken uh very early on in like these large quarantine zones that were set up throughout the country uh to basically scorch earth for about 
I'm pretty sure it's like a quarter of a mile or half a mile, so that way there's a clear, as much clear line of sight as you can. There's no obstructions to the view for the military as they're protecting their uh, as they're protecting their quarantine zone. So cool, cool to see. Um, we get more context later on in the episode about where the world is as far as resources. We see them uh, bartering with uh, uh, ration cards, which are the same from the video game as well. Uh, we see that the prevalence of vehicles is very low. We also see that batteries, car batteries, are hard to come by. Um, so uh, it's it's very similar to what is uh, portrayed in the game. The world seems to be portrayed pretty well overall. I'm excited to see what it's going to look like throughout the game. We're just getting the context right now with Boston, and we'll see what greater Boston looks like in the episodes to come uh, in the future, I'm sure of it. One thing, though, that I do want to hark on, which is going to get a negative grade for me in this in my review for this first episode, is the inclusion of a helicopter. Like, this is just... I didn't catch it, I'll be honest, in the very first run of the show. But when I was doing the second run of the show for myself, I had the ca uh, closed captions on, and I saw it said at the bottom, helicopter hovering in the distance. I was livid when I saw that, and I didn't realize it, but I was looking at it again when the uh, uh, the infected child is standing at the foot of like this hill, seeing the whole view of Boston, the quarantine zone, and this whole scorched earth in between. You see helicopters hovering over the quarantine zone. That is the something that the in like the diehard Last of Us fan inside of me got very pissed off to see. There's no way that they would be flying helicopters. I'm not saying that it's not impossible for them not to have access to maybe some helicopters that are still functioning as if they had good maintenance and such for the last 20 years. But just flying a helicopter just to fly a helicopter or to do patrols in this world doesn't make sense, especially a helicopter that's a gas guzzler. And when you're living in a world where finding a good battery a vehicle battery is hard to come by so that was something that irked me i i honestly have the feeling that that was a mistake made in post-production where someone who was doing the cgi editing for the episode probably got some instructions and just figured that adding a helicopter and some helicopter sound bites was gonna be okay if yeah it thumbs is up to should we, should we get a thumbs up to fire this person <laughs> yeah well <laughs> definitely put them on paid leave though that's but, right uh, or at least have them correct this issue because this, to me, if a helicopter never comes up in the show again, like there's never going to be a point in the game or, or excuse me, in the show where uh, the characters are going to be chased by a helicopter or they're going to be avoiding uh, spotlights from a helicopter, like then that is something that they need to do the exact same thing that they did with Game of Thrones and I believe the last season and the first couple of episodes where... Uh, hilariously all over Twitter people were resharing pictures of the Starbucks cups and the water bottles that didn't get edited out of the shots for the Game of Thrones so I think it's going to be something if it never comes up then they got to go back in there and just edit that crap out because that just kills it for the immersion never in the game do you see any helicopters uh, never is there any illusion that they even have access to stuff like that, if that even still exists in the game. Vehicles are hard to come by, but then again, factions like the WLF had a, quite a number of vehicles, and they but they clearly took very good care of them, and they were all military vehicles for the most part. Um, but yeah, 
that that just kind of kills the uh, the immersion for me, and that might be a very small slip up of someone of some intern, but at the same time, uh, you know, I I hope I I hope that they can fix that because just for me they kill it. But outside of that, the world seemed very good. Uh, the the characters let's call it like that in the world as far as how they you know their portrayal of the world themselves you know uh, quite a few dirty people quite a few clean people I don't know if it's just because there is that dynamic in Boston where uh, they are in a quarantine zone some certain people do have access to like say good self hygiene. Um, I'm a very big stickler on that, but like, you know, we were talking about it in the last episode. If I see clean people wearing dirty clothes, you know, and it, it's very lopsided, then it's, it, it looks kind of funny, but Robert is one character that stood out to me. But then again, Robert's kind of like a local, you know, thug, local, not thug, local, like leader, if gang leader is a more appropriate term, maybe, you know, uh, smuggler lead smuggler or something along those lines leads merchant so the fact that he's like wearing jewelry and uh you know uh and it seems to be pretty well kept as maybe alluding to the fact that he's wealthy and he has as he has access to good things in this world uh but as opposed to everybody else seems uh seems pretty raunchy i do like the way that they are portraying uh federal military for the most part you know, they look very, very scrappy. Their stuff looks like it's just a piecing together of a bunch of old, decrepit gear and stuff. So they're kind of keeping it real to that. Um, uh, so for the for the most part, that, that looks pretty cool. The plate carriers did catch me off guard a little bit. I think I saw a couple of rather modern plate carriers. But that's just me and me being a hardcore stickler. Um but yeah, as a whole, the the world's looking the world's looking pretty cool. Definitely been hearing a lot of people talking about it on the internet, saying like it. Some people saying it looks a little too real, like too manicured, too overgrown. But let's see how it goes throughout. Uh, you know, the rest of the series. But thus far in this uh, in the first episode, the world as a whole is uh, is pretty cool. But get those helicopters out! <laughs> right, so. The the last thing we want in a post apocalyptic world is uh is uh helicopters to have an unfair advantage, right? Um, but anyway, so um, the year is now twenty twenty three. Um, there's a creative uh, reason for that, you know, the fact that we are set in a in a parallel universe in our current year um, signifies that you know trying to build some kind of Parallel to you know what we're experiencing now in our own world with with COVID and, and the pandemic that we've we've had in a few uh, these last couple of years, so uh, definitely you know good correlation there. Um, the pieces that I want to hone into more so because uh, I think Mike did an excellent job honing in on the world um, and the tribute to the game. I, I wanted to hone in on on some of the character development here. So um, I alluded to this earlier, but uh, at this point of the show, we're essentially very separate from what the game was all about, right? This is the this is the portion where we are actually seeing things we've never seen before. Um, number one, Ellie, right? Ellie comes in hot at the very beginning of this of this act, right? Ellie is chained to a wall at uh, what we call the Fireflies, which are the faction that rebe- uh, rebellious faction to find um, you know to reclaim humanity, essentially, right? Um, and Ellie's chained up in a wall at the Firefly compound. 
Um, why you ask? You won't find out that find that out until the the end of the season. However, um, Ellie is there for a reason because she was found somewhere else, right? She was essentially saved by the leader of the Fireflies, and that's Marlene, right? Marlene uh, was portrayed really well in a show. Um, I this is something I always wanted to find out, especially in the games and, and going into into the show is how did she um, uh, get injured prior to meeting Joel and Ellie? And this is kind of where we, we start to see try we start to see uh, Joel and and, and, Chet and Tess and their personal relationship as well on the flip side, right? So in the games, there's some you know some some uh, background alluding to their relationship and, and their romantic involvement there. But we finally start to see that in on screen um, and how they would live together. They would sleep together. Uh, clearly there's something, some, something going on between them. Um, and even, even Tess going so far as to say, I got him, you know, I got him. Don't worry, don't worry, Robert. I got him. Right. Robert being the, the, the leader of another rebel group there. So, or you you probably say the underground corrupted group there, but, um, Ellie's story is interesting because at first she doesn't really understand what she's doing there. So Ellie starts to get an idea of, you know, she needs to keep some things a secret, um, but the Fireflies are, are keeping her there for a reason, right? And this is where we, we started to see the separation between the story and, and uh, the characters within the, the third act is, you know, we have uh, Joel and Joel who's really desperate trying to find Tommy, whereas in the games he really doesn't, mind too much about his brother it's it's kind of like his brother exists but you know could care less where tommy is in the show you can see tom i mean joel very desperate to find where tommy is he wasn't going so far as to literally find a car battery um and then we have marlene who was injured from a a fight between robert and his his goons um over a car battery right so now we, we have this essentially this crossroads of destiny between joel tess Ellie and Marlene and getting Ellie to where she needs to go west um, to meet the other Firefly factions, right? Right. So we get to the end of the the climax of the first episode. We have this corrupted soldier um, who is about to shoot Ellie. Joel has a moment of of inner turmoil, um, thinking about his own daughter and how he failed to protect her. And I think it was natural instinct for him to to come into action, which not completely separate from the game. Love that they added that on there. Love that they added that personal element on there. Um, kudos to them. Um, and the fact that Joel got his first redemption to uh, his daughter's death was, death was incredible. I mean, I think as a fan and as a, as a first-time viewer, you can definitely see that the emotional discharge of that moment was sincere, right? And um, sure. we finally find a truth about Ellie. He is, she is infected. She has a bite mark that's several weeks old, right? Um, and we start to understand, okay, maybe there's more to this girl than meets the eye. And this is where we start mm-hmm. the real story between Joel and Ellie, right? Mm-hmm. And getting to where she needs to go. And um, uh, love that they hinted at the end that um, there's a clicker sound for episode two mm-hmm. because, as we all know, the man himself will be directing the next episode, Infected, uh, which will be taking place in, in the Boston skyline. So any player of the game knows that this is by far one of the, the best visually appealing uh, scenes of the game and really understand what it's like to stay in the dark, right? Um, 
and as the title of this episode is uh is summarizing perfectly when you're lost in the darkness right look for the light mm-hmm. and that's explaining the, the dynamic between the fireflies and the rest of the world right so um i think that was really perfectly portrayed um aside from from random helicopters uh again uh wherever you are uh you should have thought twice on that and um I also love the fact that we got some ominous feeling around uh, the importance of the radio and the 70s, 60s, and 80s music that we hear at the end as well, which signifies trouble. So, Can I interject real quick? And when we're talking about, uh, you know, like maybe I wanted to hint a little bit at our hopes for where we go as well with that uh, the next episode, uh, the infected, as you call it, you know, um, can we be in agreement? Is that Bill that he's communicating with via the radio with the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s songs? I'm convinced it's Bill. That seems to me like something that uh, that that Bill would be able to communicate. I mean, like, new shipment in, nothing new, and something bad is going on. I think that's a uh, new shipment in. That, that screams Bill right there, right? So I think, uh, you know, unnaturally, where... Uh, where uh, Joel is potentially thinking of as well for the next bit is uh, what's the backup plan once they get outside the wall? The safest place to go would be the Bills. So, um, yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, on that? Yeah, I think uh, from my perspective, that probably makes the most sense logically because who else would have a car battery if it's not in the Boston QZ? The only person who has even access remotely to, to vehicles would be Bill, right? And that's yet to be seen, but I think that's, you know, considering the events that we're about to see in the future, um, I think logically it makes sense for it to be Bill, 100%. Mm-hmm. But asking yeah. the fans as well, you know, drop your comments. You know, definitely want to hear what you think is on the other end, is on the sending end of that, that radio signal. Right. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of questions to ask and be answered where uh, where we can go. What's Joel's thing with Tommy? It's taking steps away from the game, you know, and, you know, creating its own plot points as well. But it's definitely going to be uh, to be interesting how it sees. Definitely excited for the second game and definitely excited to discuss this, you know, further next week. But I think overall for this uh, first episode, it's tough for me to put a final grade on it because... You know, I think uh, I think one element that makes me grade also a little bit down is, you know, we're we're catering to an audience for uh, the Last of Us fans, right? I I mentioned it in the beginning. You know, there's also those people watching the show who have never played the video game at all, and for them, I can totally see this first episode, the second half of it, starting I think with Act Three, being a little too rushed for them. You know, introducing Joel, what his life is in the quarantine zone, Tess. Marlene and Ellie all into blended into about 30 40 minutes of content you know that's pretty tough to do so I can see it being low for them the helicopters kind of bring it down for me as well and you know there's there's they're setting up the course for how slight elements of this show I think are going to be different and I think you know that all kind of plays into the homage and the story both to good and some bad but, you know, I think the casting is great. The direction is great. The portrayal is going pretty good so far. So I'm giving it mm, I'm giving it an 899. That's what I'm giving it. Like uh, 
an 89.9%, like a B plus plus. Can't give it an A minus because honestly, it could have. I think it could have done been done better. Now that's the the Last of Us gamer side of me. It could have been done better. Give Joe a whole episode all to himself. The first one, introduce Ellie in the second. I know exactly how this is going. I can sit through and enjoy an entire episode of just Joel. Uh, that would have made it more creep into the A section for me. But for where it's going right now, 8.99. So um, from my perspective, um, I think there's a lot of elements here that if you look at the categories where we're talking about the actors, the world, and, and the tribute to the game itself, um, you know, we have a world that has shifted in timeline, number one. We have a world that is not entirely accurate to the timeline. Uh, we also have uh, differences to the the tribute of the game. Some for better, some for worse. You know the way that the the virus is transmitted is different, but maybe visually more visually appealing. Um, I also think that um, the way that uh, they essentially uh, gave some more context around. The characters and their crossroads uh, in the in a future setting was was interesting, but I also think that some elements may have been somewhat unnecessary or a little bit um, more weighted. So, with that being said, I uh, drum roll, please. The final score from my end is also a B minus. Uh, sorry, B plus. B plus. <laughs> B plus. Yeah. Um, I had A minus in my mind, but actually, realistically, we're going to go with B plus. So, eighty nine percent overall uh, for the first episode. Um, I think it was a very valuable insight into what can be done for the series. Um, but there's still a lot of room to grow. Uh, again, this is a brand new director for the series. Uh, we'll see a, a much more different, artistic direction for the next episode. So, one from the original creator, Neil Druckmann himself. So. Um, would love to hear people's predictions to the episode, um, what we expect to see uh, with the character development, uh, the world itself, and the tribute to the game um, moving forward. Thank you all for joining our podcast today. Um, again, this has been Looking for the Light podcast, hosted by Axel Hamill with the co-host Michael Abelev. Um, love sharing our thoughts with you all. Please comment uh, your predictions for the next episode come Sunday. Um, and as always, when you're lost in the darkness... Keep looking for the light, homies. All right. See you guys next week. See you guys next week.